for me, at least the two questions that really came out was uh, one is God only down for endogamy. Uh, another way to put it is, does he only approve of marriages that take place within one ethnic group? Hmm. Because that seems to be an issue in this passage, right? And then the other thing is, uh, does God really ignore our worship if we ended a marriage, if we've been divorced? You're listening to the RVCC Podcast, sharing stories and real conversations that inspire next steps and life change. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rainier View podcast. My name is Jeff, and I am joined by my teammate. It's Joe over here from the Parkland campus. And I lead out at our Graham campus, and we are located in Pierce County in Washington, where our two physical physical campuses are. We also uh, have a service at 1030 on Sundays online every week. And so here at Rainier View, we are all about helping People take their next steps of faith, and so this is a one way, one avenue, one tool, this podcast. You can use this as a way to grow in your faith, uh, identify some next steps to take wherever you're at. And so if you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes like these bonus episodes where in our teaching series, we don't always get to dive into different elements of a passage or there's a part of a biblical passage that we just can't treat in a, you know, a, a full way or really dive into. And so what's great about the podcast is like today we are diving into this weird little passage as we're in this series on uh, Malachi, where we're really looking at reconstruction, uh, how honestly processing our doubts can lead to hope. Uh, and so, Joe, you were preaching uh, out of Malachi 2 and you were kind of uh, doing that, doing that outline, and so there's a there's a weird verse in Malachi two, or a weird little passage. You want to tell us more about that? Yeah, uh, weird verses for sure. And as I was writing uh, for that Sunday, one of the things I realized was like, yeah, this this can go multiple ways. And you know, the way we ended up, if you were there on Sunday or just watched online, is that we talked a lot about how the issue of the modern world is that we've gone from uh, being tempted to worship too many gods to even believing in the existence of one. And so we really went down that trail of empiricism and how do we have faith in the 21st century. Uh, So consider this uh, Marvel's What If (laughs) podcast episode of there is a multiverses of sermons for Malachi 2, 10 through 16. And this is that bonus content that just didn't make it in. And so, yeah, if you read that passage, uh, you're, there are some topics there that really stick out. And really, for me, at least, as I was reading it, there were two questions that made me go, huh, that can't be. I didn't read that right. You know, so mm-hmm. for me, at least the two questions that really came out was uh, one is God only down for endogamy. Uh, another way to put it is, does he only approve of marriages that take place within one ethnic group? Hmm. Because that seems to be an issue in this passage, right? And then the other thing is, uh, does God really ignore our worship if we ended a marriage, if we've been divorced? Mm. Because there mm. is that section as well about, you know, the Israelites' tears and 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 their offerings mm. not being accepted. And God says, well, the reason is because you're not faithful. And mm. That's really challenging to hear in 2022. Yeah, yeah. So in the in the passage of Malachi 2, there's kind of an encouragement where uh, God is telling the Israelites at that time, "Hey, like you're in trouble because of your intermarrying with these with these different um, foreign cultures around you." And so, right, man, on the surface, that sounds 
completely wrong, completely incompatible with uh, with the way we understand uh, honor and respect uh, in in our world today. It also doesn't seem compatible with other scriptures that you know say that God wants to bring people from every tongue, tribe, language, and nation together. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, let's just kind of jump in. How do we make sense of this weird, maybe to our ears today, prohibition against uh, interracial marriages in the Old Testament? Because, you know, spoiler alert, uh, the application is not to like take a black Sharpie and cross out those parts of the Old Testament that are confusing or we don't like. Uh, the, the goal is to really understand where does this fit in the big story in the broader context and how do we make sense of what's really going on? So, yeah, Joe, tell us a little bit more just kind of how to how to maybe understand these verses better. Yeah, and let me uh, just do another spoiler alert here. Uh, the answer also isn't cancel all your interracial marriages if you happen to be in one because I'd have to go home and ditch Jill. Uh, and that would be quite expensive in a time of inflation, right? So let's just say this right out the gate. God is for interracial marriages. God celebrates it. I mean, there's a whole book in the Old Testament called the Book of Ruth that celebrates the union of a Moabite woman and an Israelite man, right? Ruth and Boaz. And really, that's also a precursor to God establishing a new multi-ethnic family called the church in the New Testament through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So unless God is inconsistent, the problem here in Malachi can't be interracial marriages, right? So uh, if it doesn't have to do with ethnicity, what we have to ask ourselves when we read passages like this is, what else is going on here? Like you said, mm-hmm. Jeff, right? And, and I think on my read on this, I think it has to do with loyalty. It has mm-hmm. to do with what does it mean to be loyal to God and intermarriages threaten that loyalty, at least in this time and place. Mm. Yeah, and... So tell me a little bit more about kind of what are some of the things that would really, by the Israelites marrying outside of their culture at this time, what were some of the the practices that they were going on to engage with as a result of uh, these marriages that weren't really about, even necessarily about love, uh, they were often about creating a sense of safety, security for our tribe by making alliances with other people. But then that led to the people of Israel engaging in some, yeah, some practices that uh, were not, um, you know, in line with God's will. Yeah, or, or you can call those practices terrible as well, yes, right? And yes. Because <laughs> the one that comes to mind is child sacrifices in the uh, Moloch cult. Right? Yeah, yeah. Let's right. talk about let's which, talk about Molech for a little which bit. Which we can here. say is intolerant, but like I don't want tolerance for children's sacrifices, right? And and that's kind of yeah. you know, before we get there about Molech a little bit, I think there's some background to establish is that uh, the way we think about God or gods today is quite different from how people conceptualize God in the ancient Near East, right? And the biggest difference being that uh, we don't tie God to a specific area or people group or nation, right? We don't have like the God of America or the God of Europe or something like that back then. Well, some people do, but anyways, oh, that's, that's, true. that's, that's a different that's, podcast, yeah. different day. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> let's episode. continue. Good point, Jeff. Good point. Didn't think about that. But I, I guess like 
there there are gods that are intimately tied with a people group, mm-hmm. right? Uh, at least in the ancient Near East context, and sort of like how we have mascots on teams. Maybe not mm-hmm. the best comparison, but gives us a frame yeah. of reference, right? So, just as people today in San Francisco worship an idol in the 49ers, you have people <laughs> like the Moabites who were loyal to Chemosh, or Philistines were loyal to Dagon, or Canaanites were loyal to Baal, or as we mentioned, Molech was another one of these, right? Mm-hmm. And so, when two people from two different groups got married, uh, you weren't just marrying the in-laws, right? Mm. You were marrying the gods, right? Mm. You were bringing the gods together Mm because their people worship this god and your people worship this. So if a Moabite married a Canaanite, then the family would incorporate Chemosh and Baal together, and that would be that. Life would just go on, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so making it really kind of... um, clear here. Let's let's run with this sports metaphor. So when uh, we moved from California, so uh, yeah, my wife and I, we both grew up in Southern California, Los Angeles. Uh, in 2013, we moved to Virginia. And so uh, our kids are seven. My daughter, Kobe's almost four at this time. And so I am a diehard lifelong Laker fan, um, which if you're listening to this Currently, uh, this is the most painful season ever as a Laker fan, uh, as Father Time has caught LeBron and is beating him down, and team's terrible. But anyways, poor um, you and your 17 championships. Yes, I know. You know, it's just like we gotta we gotta win one more than Boston. So, uh, but the speaking of Boston, when we were flying out, um, so we're you know long cross country flight, and we've got a layover in in Boston, and so we're walking through the Boston airport, and my daughter being raised in the household of a lifelong Laker fan yells out when she asks, where are we? And we're in Boston. And she says that, you know, almost four years of age, Boston, this is where the bad guys live, <laughs> Me re- referencing the Boston Celtics. Uh, and so, um, right, it's kind of this, it would be silly, like we talk about this, like, you know, my kid's not going to grow up to marry a, a Celtics fan, right? Or like, you know, maybe up here more locally in the in the Pacific Northwest. You know, uh, you know, my kid's not going to grow up to become a 49ers fan, right? Uh, and so, but that's like a haha funny. Like that might be like you know something part of our family tradition, but it's not it's not a moral thing. Some of you are like, oh yeah, it is. <laughs> but when it comes to the issue of these these gods being merged. There's a mismatch in values even. Uh, And so, yeah, I'll I'll give, we'll kind of, we might be jumping ahead a little bit here. Um, But when I do premarital education sessions, uh, so before a couple gets married, we kind of go through a a workbook and we address these kind of common areas that every couple's going to face and give them a framework going into marriage on how to uh, handle communication, finance, uh, sex, all, you know, kind of these, these big things that everybody is going to have to deal with in their marriage. But at the very beginning, I say, look, I have two simple rules where you can have a, a, a healthy, lifelong marriage. Like, just follow these two rules. I'm still batting a 1,000. I think everybody that I've performed and officiated their wedding is still married. So it's like, great, two simple rules. What are they? Uh, first one is you have to be ready to make a lifelong commitment to the person that you're intending to marry, that, that divorce really isn't an option. And so if that's not where you are, that's okay but that means you're not ready to make this commitment of marriage, at least from my, um, you know, 
biblical Christian understanding of marriage, right? This is this is what I'm talking about when when it comes to marriage. And the second one is I I'll tell couples I won't marry a spiritual or worldview mismatch. So what do I mean by that? If both couples come from maybe different faith backgrounds, but their faith backgrounds, it's very um, just nominal. I grew up in it, but neither one of you are practicing anything faith-wise. You're just, in essence, like functionally, you're both agnostic. Well, then like you have worldview alignment, right? Now I'll continue to talk about the difference Jesus can make in your marriage and, and why you should consider that. But if that's where both couples are at, there, there's alignment, spiritually speaking. But if one one couple, one you know, individual is like just so into their faith and it's the, the most important thing and following Jesus is, is what's most important. And the other partner is like comes to me and says, like, eh, like, I don't know, I, I went to church when I was a kid a few times and like, yeah, like VBS was fun, but it hasn't been a part, a key part of their lives. And I'll say, like, this isn't this isn't gonna work, right? Like this isn't gonna be a match. And most of the time, if they're taking the, if the couple's taking the time to meet with me as a pastor for, you know, seven, eight sessions, they're pretty serious about being aligned anyways. Um, but some people say, how incredibly intolerant of you, Jeff. How could you stand in the way of true mm-hmm. love yeah. by saying, and even sometimes a worldview mismatch, yeah, right? Yeah. If one, one partner wants to have nine kids and the other is like, no, I want one only. It, that's going to be a problem. Or one wants to go start an orphanage and the other wants to like work on Wall Street. Like, right, These are worldview mismatches. And so I would say, no, this isn't going to be compatible because the things that you value the most are going to compete and they're, they're not going to merge. They're not going to mesh. And it's going to lead to either lifelong problems and ruining the intimacy that God desires for marriage or worse, it's going to dissolve. And I think we see this a lot in pop culture. We're talking earlier before we got started about, you know, that there's the same press release for every celebrity marriage. It seems like, like, oh, yeah, like we're just in two different places now, but I still just they're like my best friends still. And we just have all the, the admiration and respect and support for one another. But at the end of the day, like it doesn't matter whether your name is, you know, Tom and Giselle and, uh, you know, you've got a bazillion dollars and you're the goat of your sport or whether you're just, you know, Joe and Sue Smith. No, neither couple begins their marriage desiring for it to end. Uh, And so along the way, there are things that can creep in and disrupt the fabric of, of that. So. That was a very long roundabout way yeah. to kind of get to back to when yeah. when we're talking here and some, you know, you might be listening thinking, how incredibly intolerant, like how could God say that these two people who love each other shouldn't be together just because of their backgrounds? It's like, whoa, whoa, time out. There's an incredible worldview and values mismatch between a follower of Yahweh and somebody who, yeah, offers things to, to Molech and, and even, you know, Molech is probably an extreme example, child sacrifice. Oh, yeah, yeah. But like if you read in the Old Testament over and over again, there's these like, um, you know, worshiping the Baals and these Asherah poles that are yeah, referenced. Yeah. Well, those Asherah poles were in essence like, hey, prostitution happens here. Like that was a giant like yeah. symbol of like 
this is what goes down at this location. And so when we when we view it that way, it hopefully at least begins to help us understand that this isn't this isn't an ethnic issue. This is a a worldview and practices issue. But that could be very confusing when you read, um, you know, a verse like Malachi 2, um, verse 11. Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. And so, again, it's not about the ethnicity when we read that uh, and you know, there's been terrible things that Christians have done with verses like that yeah, to, yeah. to promote that worldview. But it's about the marrying of these incompatible worship practices. Yeah. So I didn't mean to talk that long. I got down on this nah, weird nah, rabbit nah. trail. Um, but yeah, what it, what no, kind I mean, does that start for you? I think that's just a really helpful framework, right? Thinking of this as like an interfaith issue versus an interracial issue, right? Um, and, and, and that's a really good point that you make, Jeff, about this idea of incompatibility because uh, Baal and, I don't know, Chemosh or Molech and Asherah, these things can all be compatible in a sense, right? Because their claims are just, I'm the god of this or I'm the god of that, right? Mm-hmm. The difference being Yahweh um, isn't just the god of the Israelites or isn't bound to a geographical area, but Yahweh claims to be the creator of the whole world and every human being. And also claims to be superior to all the other gods, right? Mm. And, and so that's a very different claim, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And all these other gods uh, and their worldviews is very cyclical, right? Uh, the world operates in cycles. Time operates mm-hmm. in cycles. Yahweh believes or, or, or at least frames the world as a progression towards restoration and shalom and wholeness, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so marrying another group almost becomes out of the question, uh, not because, again, God doesn't want interracial families, but because he doesn't want divided loyalty uh, in his people and he doesn't want his people going off track. And this has more to do with God just wanting attention, right? Mm. It's not like God needs the attention. It's, it's because Israel is that specific community through whom God intends to bless the entire world, mm. right? And so yeah. their practices matter, their worship matters, how they live their lives matter, because this is going to be the hope for the world. Mm-hmm. And if Israel starts mixing up their practices um, and starts replicating what the Canaanites are doing or what the Moabites are doing, um, that trajectory that God has gets jeopardized in a way, right? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. spoiler alert, it does in the Old Testament. And that's why Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think, too, um, there may be people listening and they might feel really defeated at this juncture because they maybe set out to have a marriage and they oh, thought man, they were yeah. on the same mm-hmm. playing field with faith and then something changed for one spouse to the other and they're they're not interested uh, in that faith anymore or at least actively pursuing it. And so uh, you know, there may be people who feel stuck in that situation. And if that's you, you're, you know, you're responsible to uh, share your faith with uh, as First Peter three fifteen says, with gentleness and respect yeah. to the best of your ability, um, but it's it's challenging enough to pass along a well a, a well crafted, well thought out, robust faith in Jesus to our children when both parents are on the same page, uh, and I think to the point of like 
And none of us are immune from mixing oh, yeah, in yeah. different different ideas and things into our theology, into our practice of following Jesus. But I just think it's it's challenging enough if you're just one parent trying to do their best to model and, and replicate Jesus uh, and following the way of Jesus. And it's just when both parents are on the same page with that, man, the the, the ability to impart that you go is is so much easier and so much more likely uh, to to see happen. Yeah. So. Yeah. Any other any other thoughts just on the the context of Malachi and these verses specifically speaking to the the marrying of foreign women? Anything that we didn't get to in particular to that Malachi two context? You know, I think we pretty much covered that uh, pretty well. But Good. then again, we'll we'll let listeners decide on that and, <laughs> you know, where to find us. So yeah, send exactly. all your angry emails to uh, Jeff, J at brainreview.org, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Send them over and we would love to <laughs> clarify. Uh, you can reach out and we'll try and uh, be clearer or answer your question better. If you've got one, we'd love to hear it. Tell yeah. Yeah. But let's uh, let's talk about that other weird passage uh, in Malachi two. Actually, I can read it for us here. Yeah, yeah. Let's up. just kind of jump into that one. So Malachi two thirteen is that other weird one, right? So let me go ahead and read this one. Um, Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because He no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Yeah, so you mm-hmm. read something like that, and the literal way to interpret that is, well, if you have been divorced or your marriage has ended, um, Malachi seems to be putting it really bluntly that God will ignore your offering and your worship, mm. right? Wow. Yeah. Um and again, here, right, I think the case is we got to look at that uh, contextually and, mm-hmm. and with pastoral sensitivity as well, mm-hmm. because yeah. guess what? There, there are people in our congregation who are divorced, right? And, and this is a huge topic, it seems like, or almost like we don't speak about it mm-hmm. in church, or if we do, it's usually covered in shame or mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of misunderstanding around this, right? Um, so yeah, I'm going to take a moment real quick just to maybe talk about divorce in Malachi's situation and throw it to you, mm-hmm. Jeff, a little yeah. bit. But um, the thing with divorce that I think it's good to know or just to have in the framework of our minds is that uh, back then it was really an issue of justice, right? Because mm-hmm. remember, people were living in a patriarchal agricultural society, which meant that uh, land ownership, inheritance rights, and most socioeconomic opportunities were limited just to men, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which made women incredibly dependent on their husbands. And if you add to this divorce, um, you you have to remember divorce wasn't something that women enacted. It was something that men mm-hmm. enacted as well, according mm-hmm. to the law in most cases. And yeah. also think about it. Why would you as a woman want to enact it based on conditions as the world is, Right. Yeah, yeah. Like it's important to, to to our culture. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but in in that day and age, right or wrong, as, as a female, your your very survival depended upon your connection to a father, to a husband, or for your sons to carry on and provide. And so that that 
original context may be completely different than what we understand in our culture today. Uh, we might rightfully be like, wow, that's that's not like the way it should be. But it was the reality for the people in Malachi's day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for adding that, Jeff. And, and I think that as we think about that reality, right, then as we think about divorce in Malachi 2, um, you know, some of these are educated guesses and some of these we just gained from the context of that passage. But uh, the, the reasons for divorce were probably plenty. There were probably mm-hmm. a lot of different reasons, and most of them probably didn't align with the Mosaic Law, right, which made an mm-hmm. exception for infidelity, I believe. But outside of that, not much. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, though. Let's go take a look at that later. But yeah, we'll circle yeah, back. Yeah. And, and, but I think that, I mean, some of the reasons might be, yeah, uh, to marry foreign women and join up with their gods because this was a crazy time in the world. Um, maybe another reason for divorce was uh, to marry women that came from wealthier families because when you mm-hmm. married a woman, you got a bridal price, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there could have been that going on uh, to increase your chances of having a son. If your first wife didn't have a son and you had no one to pass on your wealth to, maybe you ditch her for another woman, right? It mm-hmm. sounds cruel. And that's because it was cruel. And it, it sounds cruel, and yet it also sounds incredibly modern, right? Like, in and in love yeah, yeah. Like, is this... Is this going to make my life better? Is yeah. this marriage going to make my life better? If not, then just nope. Like feel zero, you know, um, compulsion to try and make the relationship work, right? Like, nope, I can just move on to somebody else. I don't have to honor this commitment I made, right? And yeah. so it's interesting to see in some senses how incredibly different this culture is. And yet in some ways how incredibly same the issues are that we face today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a really good way to put it, Jeff. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I would just add to that statement, right, is, is that um, divorce really just in, in this context is about putting someone in a vulnerable situation, right, mm-hmm. um, just for your own happiness or just for your own security. And that's maybe where the modern tie-in is, mm-hmm. is that, uh, this thing that God permits is being misused in such mm-hmm. a way that it's hurting other people, and, and it's really taking marriage and making a joke out of it almost, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and that's what upsets God significantly. Which now I guess right, we 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 should turn to the question of okay, we get that, we get the context, mm-hmm. but how do we make sense of it in a modern world where divorce happens, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah, this is passage saying like divorce. It's a no-go for every situation? Mm. Yeah, I think that that is – so – and there's kind of like two two layers to it. One, like, you know, kind of the question like, well, what, what are acceptable grounds, so to speak, for yeah. divorce? And then, okay, but then there's a the question of – but then when it happens to, to me, what do I do then? Yeah. Like what does it mean for my life moving forward? And I kind of – I want to – just make it super clear for those who maybe are in a space where uh, you have been made to feel less than, you've been made to feel condemned uh, over over you know a divorce in your past, uh, and that we believe that the grace of God that's been revealed and expressed and shown in Jesus uh, covers not just some of our mistakes, not just some of our sins and our shortcomings, but all. And so because of that, no matter what has happened in our lives prior, that doesn't, that doesn't uh, hold us back in the present uh, of being second class or less than or God's grace being able to write a different new 
story uh, and that God can actually use those seasons, those painful seasons of even the, uh, the end of a marriage relationship as a testimony of God's faithfulness and presence among that. So I want to make that clear, but then kind of backing up to the question of, okay, like what do we, how do we make sense of when, you know, somebody might be wondering, is this situation okay for me to pursue divorce? Uh, and so I kind of want to start with uh, Jesus. That's always a safe place to start with. Um, but in Matthew 19, um, there's an interesting encounter that the religious people have with Jesus around this very question of divorce. And so in Matthew 19, we read there, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. So they're trying to trap Jesus here, but they asked this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? He goes on to say, Jesus, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And then the Pharisees go on with another question. Well, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his uh, wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. So there's a lot there, but um, the first thing is this, this notion. So in Israel's history, they kind of there's not a static position. So they're they're kind of it ebbs and flows when it comes to marriage. And so there's a there's a period in which the rabbis would kind of like uh, there's a famous line. I, I don't know I don't know what rabbi said it, but kind of like oh like you can send your wife away if she burnt the toast. <laughs> you know like yeah, if you, yeah, if you find this, yeah. if you find anything displeasing in in your wife, basically you have every right to like kick her out. And, but you have to write the certificate of divorce that, in essence, would allow her to be uh, remarried. And so Jesus is saying, like, look, you're looking for the, the, the legal grounds. You're looking for the loophole, the way to get out of this. Let me point you back to the intention of marriage, right? Haven't you, haven't you read, by the way, is like the ultimate slap in the face that Jesus gives the Pharisees over and over again. If you're if you're newer to reading the Bible or if you never caught this, when Jesus says, haven't you read, he's, he's uh, messing with them uh, pretty hard. But um, <clears throat> right at the beginning, we see God's intent in marriage is for uh, this shared unity, like that there's so much commitment and safety within the bounds of a uh, of God's design for marriage that there is no other human being on planet earth that you are closer to that you you are safer with that you share this deep level of intimacy with now who wouldn't want that type of relationship right and so God is saying we ought to protect this and i love the imagery in in genesis where it describes, you know, and how much of it is 
metaphoric and how much of it is literal. Um, these are things that that scholars and people debate. Uh, but but at minimum, the imagery of Eve isn't taken from Adam's, um, uh, you know, feet. So Eve is below him. You know, Eve isn't created from Adam's, you know, uh, brain to be above him. Uh, but Eve is, is taken from Adam's side. Is a beautiful picture of of equality in that relationship, um, and so it's this it's this kind of unity that I think the vast majority of people would love to uh, say, yeah, like sign me up, right? And Jesus is saying, you guys have made uh, you you mentioned this earlier, like a mockery of marriage. It's just about you know convenience and it's about alliances and it's about gaining more security and stuff for ourselves and that's how we're using marriage and God is saying like no like I'm actually the 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 original romantic <laughs> like I'm the one who's created this uh, this concept this idea um of one flesh that two people are so united in my version of of what uh, a marriage relationship looks like uh, that they they cease to just be two individuals that there's something uh, that happens with this intimacy in my conception of marriage, God saying, um, that is completely differently, uh, completely different from the other conceptions of marriage in the world. And so it's against that backdrop when we when we encounter then, you know, in Jesus' day, it was like, nope, you know, any any reason is good enough for divorce. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, very similar to our culture today. Yeah, Jesus is elevating the beauty the importance, the intimacy of marriage, and saying, value this so, so highly. But then he does say he gives an exception, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But there are instances like infidelity where that relationship has been so damaged uh, that that it has been destroyed to the point where uh, that covenant has been broken irrever- mm-hmm. irrevocably. Now, I know couples where they have overcome infidelity. They've worked through that. God can heal any marriage situation. But what Jesus is saying is, but this isn't a blanket statement that there are no causes for a marriage relationship to be ended. Uh, And so he gives the one of, you know, infidelity there. Um, But I'm going to flip it over to you. Let's talk about a little bit about one that the church is out of troubling history with when it comes to domestic abuse uh, and, and spouse abuse. And so, um, yeah, what do we do with that? Yeah. So I, I, I think when, when we think about the exception Jesus makes, right, uh, one of the ways to theologically think about this is we have to sort of focus in on the theology of marriage, right? Mm-hmm. And marriage— Believe it or not, it's not ultimately for our happiness. It's ultimately not for it's it's not like a thing we do just because everyone's doing it, right? Or for tax breaks. It's it's mm-hmm. it's ultimately because it's a reflection of God's covenant with us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It, it's about faithfulness. It's the, the Greek word being pistis, right? Loyalty. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and so our relationships ought to reflect and show to the world how God intends to relate with other people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so the best of marriages are reflecting God's love and compassion and loyalty. A- and so with that said, right, in 
a marriage where there is any sort of spiritual, emotional, or physical abuse, I would say, and I think 99% confident Jesus would say, that's not a marriage that reflects God's mm-hmm. covenant loyalty and love, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and if that's the case, kind of what you're saying, Jeff, faithfulness has been broken. Mm-hmm. That's its own form of infidelity. It might not be adultery, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's definitely a, a misalignment with what God wants out of marriage. It's a parody of marriage, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, if, and if anyone who's listening is caught up in a situation like that, like— I, I think the pastoral thing I want to say to that person is like, if you've heard in the past, you need to hold on to this at all costs. Mm-hmm. Like that's a very dangerous thing mm-hmm. uh, to believe. And I would advise you, hey, like, no, like seek help. Yeah. Right? yeah. Because because I, I want to be clear that like that's not a situation that God is saying to persevere in. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, Jeff, I, I know you brought in a lot of uh, notes with you as well about like. Uh, that we as a culture need to figure out how to delineate the difference, right? Uh, Distinguish the difference between Mm -hmm. what is a marriage where I am being exhausted because it has just become boring or it's Mm -hmm. become too challenging or it's become too complicated versus where what is a marriage where this is a danger to me, it's Mm -hmm. a danger to my children, it's a danger to my family, and its unfaithfulness to what God wants marriage to be, right? Mm-hmm. And we tend to mix the two, yeah, as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. You know, I, to make it crystal clear, like if you are in a position of facing physical harm, you need to get yourself out of that situation asap. Yeah, like, do not stay. So I want to make that clear. Just because there's not a verse that states that. We can we can understand a we call it a biblical theology or sometimes maybe it's a systematic theology of when we look at all of scripture, yeah, yes, that is congruent with walking in the way of Jesus and seeking justice and seeking uh, to value everyone as being created in the image of God. So if that's your situation, do what you need to do to get yourself out of physical harm. And then there's there's the more complicated issues mm-hmm. of. Yeah continued emotional abuse and so well does is that a different category is that is that a quote-unquote life sentence and you just have to you know grind it out like I don't think there's an easy one-size-fits-all solution Mm -hmm. to that I think the heart is God wants both parties to do everything they can to change to work towards this beautiful picture of intimacy respect uh, support in marriage uh, that, that you know, God instituted, again, from the beginning, and Jesus reaffirms this is the intent. Yes, both couples need to work towards that. But here's the reality. I mean, I've been a pastor for 20 years. I've been in so many cases where, like, one person's done. They are not changing their mind. And so sometimes marriages come to an end, even if one partner doesn't want it to. Mm. And so in that case, it there is there's a grieving that has to take place, but there has to be the freedom to release that and say, I did what I could. Yes, I'm not perfect. Yes, if I can go back in time, I would change X, Y, and Z. But sometimes, you know, a marriage will dissolve. It will end in divorce. And there's not a a restoration and happy story at the end. Sometimes there is, and that's great. That's wonderful. Um, but 
that doesn't mean if your story doesn't end the way you wanted it to, that doesn't mean you somehow are less deserving of God's grace. It doesn't mean that some, you did something wrong. You didn't like read the Bible hard enough or pray hard enough or listen to the spirit hard enough. Um, you know, sometimes there's just, there are factors out of your control. Um, and I would say that, yeah, like if you're in a situation where, man, you are relating in an unhealthy way, the first step is to invite some outside help into that. Mm. Get some perspective, whether that's going to, to a marriage counselor or if you're like, you know, no, we don't have the money to do that or we don't know where to start with that. Like maybe even sometimes just just reaching out to another couple that you both say, yeah, they, they, they're they in a better spot than us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've been married for a lot longer than we have or they seem to have a healthier marriage and just asking another couple for help processing your stuff because uh, newsflash, while I've been talking about marriage as this, this beautiful um, space of intimacy that God desires for us to have, um, it's also because of that, the place where we experience the greatest relational pain. Mm. Uh, we have the greatest capacity to be known and loved, and therefore, we also have the greatest capacity to be hurt. Mm. And so you need other people to help you navigate the greatest, most important uh, relationship that you'll ever have. You can't just solo, like, figure that out. And so sometimes it's just as simple as beginning to invite other people in, and I think when we do that, we begin to see, first of all, oh, other other couples struggle with a lot of the same things we're struggling with. And sometimes we can catch a problem before it becomes a terminal problem, right? So this is a ugh, terrible analogy. It's not one-to-one, right? But, like, you want to catch cancer in the early stages. Mm. If, you, if, if you go in and something's not quite off and they diagnose it and they catch it early, the rates are, like, it's something like 80%, you know, like um, – of cases are in remission five years down the road. But if you don't catch it until later on, it's so much more difficult. It's so much more. It's not that healing can't happen. Mm. And so, again, this is not this is not a, a perfect illustration, um, you know, but the point I'm trying to make is catch the problems, work on the things earlier on. Don't wait till it's like, you're ready to like sign the papers and then ask for help because yeah, then it's like almost too late so often and nothing is ever too, too late, but yeah, get, get some help share earlier on. It's so important to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think the only thing I would add to that, Jeff, is the idea of also don't, you don't have to wait till there's problems Mm -hmm. in your marriage, Mm -hmm. right? Because marriage works best when it's pursued in community. Mm-hmm. It's, it works best when you are uh, looking at counseling, when you are looking for wisdom and solid advice from people who've been in it longer than you. And that's something Jill and I learned early on, right? We tried to do our first year of marriage, just the two of us in New Jersey. And then uh, luckily, by the grace of God, we wisened up. And it's like, nah, let's include older couples. Let's befriend <laughs> yeah. older couples. Let's meet up uh, with, you know, people who've just been in this longer, right? And because marriage shouldn't just be about uh, troubleshooting. It should Mm. also be about elevating and uh, growing what is good and what is beautiful. Mm. 
in that relationship. And so yeah. uh, if you're listening to this and thinking, I don't have any issues, then great. <laughs> How about you continue to invest in those things that are going well? Because marriage is not a stagnant thing. It's a dynamic relationship that we need to continually nurture. Mm-hmm. And often, and that is always actually a red flag to me when a couple says, uh, we, that's true. <laughs> we never fight. I'm like, no, that's not true. And then I realized, like, oh, this is actually true. Some couples, they, they never fight, but they have their own dance around issues. Mm-hmm. And so often when a couple says, we never fight, what I've come to, to observe in those relationships is the, the intimacy pool is very shallow. Mm-hmm. Because that means you're not willing to go to painful or hurtful places. And if you're not willing to go to painful or hurtful places in your relationship, you're never going to have a depth in your marriage of processing past pains or hurts or growing through those things. You're always going to kind of be in a, in a more immature, shallow lane in your relationship until you're ready to go to those difficult places because when you do – you're not going to navigate those perfectly. You know, there's going to be conflict. And and, I, and kind of my final encouragement would be, you know, in a world, you know, and we're in this series Malachi and, and just such a great way that you framed uh, the questions of Malachi too around, you know, it's, it's shifted for us in our culture from not just, you know, which God should I worship to like, is God even an option? And for so many people that are wondering like, why would you even bother with faith today? I would say, how can I not bother with living in the way of Jesus and having a pattern, a way of life to pursue? Uh, and so, yeah, my, my closing thoughts are just going to be from Philippians 2, uh, where we read, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Mm. Each of you should look not only to your own own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So it's like that's general wisdom. That's a general way of life for any relationship. But man, you think about applying that lens mm. to your marriage. Mm. That's going to be different than the relationships around us. That's a different wisdom than the world has to offer when we live out of that lens. And so, yeah, my encouragement would be wherever you're at with faith, maybe you're really struggling to just make sense of any of it, Put it to the test. Like, put this way of living to the test and match it with just what you've been doing and how you've been maybe cobbling together things mm. and just see how it compares. Uh, and I think a lot of people be really surprised at maybe the results and the change in in their lives as as they really kind of uh, put, put into practice this way of Jesus in even in their marriage relationship and then uh, I think marriages that that maybe feel right now on the rocks, if if both parties are willing to even lean in a little bit towards that, man, God's grace can show up in such profound and such amazing ways. 
Yeah, anything else before we wrap up today? Yeah, no. All I have to say to that is amen. Let's pass the offering basket. And, uh, <laughs> thank you, Jeff, for uh, joining me today uh, for this podcast. And you're the host, so I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess no, it should be thank- the other way around. But uh, no, I appreciate your wisdom, uh, just what you have to offer. And, you know, this is the benefit, right, of having uh, more than one pastor on our staff. It's, I've been married, what, six years? You've been married how long? 21 in December. 21, 21 in December. Month. And so there's just... Insert bad joke about <laughs> our marriage can now legally drink. Uh, right? Uh, can we edit that out? Maybe not. Maybe okay. not. But 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 I do think there, there's something... There's a lot there that you bring in that I can't speak to. And so I, I just appreciate that and value that. And uh, y'all should value that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's just about learning from others. And, yeah. and that's, that's the best version of church, right? When we have the community... To learn from others, and and we've got such we've got amazing couples that have been married, you know, 40, 50 years, mm. and the things that you know, even we're looking at, you know, like we're talking to a couple about like, oh, empty nest for us is just a few years down the road, and so like, how did that go for you, right? And and so, yeah. you know, again, just one of the benefits of truly being connected to a church is that we we can have that community to rely on. So. If you are listening and you kind of want to figure out your next steps of even uh, how to how to grow in your understanding of Scripture or find community like that, reach out to us, uh, message us. We would love to connect with you, help you take that next step. Um, but again, if you have not yet subscribed, please do. You can uh, feel free to leave a rating as uh, Erica, who sometime is, sometimes is on the podcast with me. We both say five stars only, so uh, we are unashamed about that because... We believe, hopefully, this is so helpful. If it's not, there's like a bazillion and one other podcast out there. Find something that helps you. But we hope that this has been beneficial, helpful for you. So subscribe. Don't miss the next episode. And until then, have a great week. We hope to have you back soon.